We Don't Know How to Look, an essay by Matt Ruby. That's me. Can you imagine four American kids lost in the jungle for months? They wouldn't make it through a night. My iPad battery died. Lame. And how can we eat? There are zero Whopper trees. Oh, great. Now I'm down to my last Ritalin. This is boring. What's the... Then they're just eaten by a jaguar. <laughs> That's why a recent survival story seems incredible. A 13-year-old Colombian girl managed to keep her younger siblings alive for more than 40 days by relying on ancestral knowledge that she learned from her grandmother about which fruits were edible, how to find drinkable water, and which plants and wildlife to avoid. And speaking of plants, the kids were discovered by a jungle local who had taken ayahuasca that day. According to an expert who talked to The Guardian, Ingesting the plant allowed this indigenous searcher to, quote, become a doctor, a panther, a tiger, a puma. He sees beyond because it's a holistic medicine. He had the capacity to look. Forget actress, waitress, model. This is the multi-hyphenate job title I want to see on more Instagram bios. Doctor, panther, tiger, puma. I mean, get out of that guy's way. Actually, doctor, panther, tiger, puma reminds me of this bodywork session I once did. I'm going to call it a bodywork session because I don't know what else to call it. It was with Ruda Yande, a shaman from the Brazilian jungle. He visited New York City and, based upon a friend's recommendation, I went to have a session with him, not even knowing what was going to happen. Upon arrival, he talked to me for five minutes. Then I did breath of fire for a while when you're just rapidly breathing, like <laughs> that kind of thing. Then he started doing a sort of deep tissue massage, really getting in there. And then I started laughing hysterically for five minutes. And then I started bawling for 10 minutes and was flooded with images of my dead mother. And then my calves and forearms started seizing up in violent cramps so painful. I told him I didn't think I could continue. He said to me in broken English, I can stop if you need, but this is your raw power rising up inside you. I encourage you to let it rise up. He used the magic words for me, raw power. Immediately I heard the Stooges song and envisioned Iggy Pop climbing through a crowd, barking like a dog, smearing peanut butter all over himself and bleeding in every possible sense of the word. I couldn't let down Iggy, so I endured the seizing muscles and, well, seized the day. The pain eventually subsided and within a few minutes our session was done. I was flabbergasted. I went into the reception area and sat there for 45 minutes before I could even handle city streets. When I left, I was incredibly sore, yet somehow felt lighter than ever before. I didn't even know all that was in there, but I guess this guy knew where to look. Later, it occurred to me how silly it must seem to him that Americans think your priest, therapist, and masseuse should be different people. What a mad delineation. Our culture so strongly desires to segregate the mind, body, and soul from each other that we wind up dooming ourselves to lives of disconnection. We try so hard to separate the drums, guitars, and vocals into isolated tracks that we forget to listen to the actual song. Years ago, 60 Minutes ran a story about a group of people called the Mokin and how they can see, quote, signs in the waves. Among the least touched peoples by modern civilization, the Mokin have lived for centuries on islands off the coast of Thailand and Burma. They learn to swim before they can walk. They survived the massive tsunami in 2004 that killed thousands of Asians because they knew the sea better than any marine biologist. 
while quote-unquote more advanced folks gathered at the shore and gaped at the ocean, wondering, why is it receding like that? The Moken were fleeing towards higher ground. They understood what was happening because of a legend passed down for generations about the Laboon, the wave that eats people. When it comes, they had been told, go to the mountains or head to deep water. By the way, animals also knew something was up before the waves hit. Elephants stampeded toward higher ground, dolphins headed to deeper water, and cicadas suddenly went silent. Why did others who lived near the sea not realize what was happening? A Moken man says, quote, They were not looking at anything. They saw nothing. They looked at nothing. They don't know how to look. Remember that line about the ayahuasca guy who found those kids in the jungle? He had the capacity to look. That's got me thinking about technology. Technology does so many great things for us, yet we rarely factor in what we're losing along the way and how much it's murdering our capacity to look. Flooded with images, we see nothing. We're also losing our ability to truly hear. We all know about peripheral vision, but we rarely consider peripheral sounds. I'm a New Yorker, so I'm walking constantly, and I can always tell when I'm behind someone wearing AirPods. Lost in a podcast or a Teef Swift bop, they never clock when someone's behind them or wanting to pass. They're never bored, but they're also fractionally less present. And those fractions eventually add up in a compounding, loss-of-interest way. Context clues evaporate when we constantly cocoon ourselves in screens and sounds. We wind up knowing every inch of our internal bubbles, yet slowly become oblivious to our surroundings. Now maybe you're saying, Matt, you're such a Luddite. Stop it with all the tech complaining. Look, I'm a slave to technology too. I totally get how much it's improved our lives. I just wish we were better at acknowledging the trade-offs we're making and how all this tech that makes things better also makes us worse. Otherwise, it's going to be impossible to make mindful choices about incorporating it into our lives. And that sentences us to remain stuck in the splash zone of an infinite scrolls, slot machine, move fast and break things attack mode that's great for maximizing corporate revenues, but a horror show for our brains. Another thing to note about the Moken is all the words that don't exist in their language. For one thing, they have no word for when, which means they don't know how old they are. They don't have a word for mine either. Also, there's no want or take. Turns out the Moken want little. Unlike us, they don't desire to accumulate material objects. Baggage sucks for nomadic people because it ties them down. Possessions may represent wealth to us, but they're merely cement shoes to them. Just think how much we'd worry if we didn't have all our stuff. Don't the Moken ever worry like that? Nah. Turns out worry, that's another word that doesn't exist in their language at all. And now let's welcome to the microphone producer, Jeremiah McVeigh. Hey, Matt. So this had me thinking of something I worked on recently. Um, as I think you know, I've been working for the last several months on this history podcast about different cultures around the world. And one of them is the Rapa Nui, which it's both the name, the actual name, I should say, of Easter Island, which is what we all know it by. Uh, it's the name of that island and the people who are indigenous to it. And in the episode, we talked to uh, 
someone who is from that community and then someone who's studied it extensively. And they they bring up the idea of like, you know, some people think that aliens must have built the giant statues there that everybody knows from Easter Island. Mm -hmm. And they point out how that's just this incapacity of modern people to acknowledge that people in the past were intelligent and maybe in some ways more intelligent than we are uh, because they had to figure out how to do this giant, both artistic and engineering feat without the tools and things that we have today that would make that job relatively easy for us in terms of like a crane or anything like that, you know, machines. And so they had to, as a people, figure out, you know, some basic science of like where the center of gravity is on a big object and how to work together as a community. And they, they say that, uh, that's something that helped these people survive because building these statues brought the community together and taught them to work together. And then they could survive on this remote Island where you had to work. You had to get along with the people on your Island because they were, they were the people that you were stuck with essentially. And you didn't have much of a way to get off and it's still relevant to them today. And those lessons are things that the people who are of the Rapa Nui today, um, still can learn from and do learn from and that the rest of the world could learn from. So that's a long winded sort of recitation of something that I, thought of uh, here, but I, th- I think that you're right about the idea of ancestral knowledge being something that uh, we would be smart to pay closer attention to. Yeah. I mean, uh, I-, I learned that from Gilligan's Island, how much the people <laughs> on an island need to figure out how to get along somehow, even if they're vastly different from each sure. other. Um, yeah. I mean, that tale, rem- I didn't know about Easter Island and, and the history uh, specifically, but it reminds me also of, you know, Stonehenge or the pyramids right. or sort of other elaborate constructions that, you know, modern day, you know, people are, were still kind of confused. Like, how did they do that? Like, what, how, how did this happen in a way that like we can't fathom really? Um, and yeah, I think ancestral knowledge, I think part of what's often special about it, like, I think there's some way about it's uh, a collaboration with nature mm-hmm. and also like sort of respecting your ecosystem right. and like what's around you. It's all based on uh, sustainability. Uh, you know, obviously that's something we've only recently accomplished as uh, as humanity, the ability to destroy our environment. And I think a lot of ancestral knowledge goes back to like, okay, how do we cohabitate with our surroundings? How do we, you know, sort of respect and uh, nurture it and, uh, you know, either pray towards it or appreciate it or, or be express gratitude towards it and also, you know, use it, but, you know, sort of uh, being grateful for it at the same time. Uh, which, you know, I think part of what I, I like that story about the jungle so much was the, you know, ayahuasca, which obviously, you know, we've talked about before and I've written yeah. about a lot, you know, sort of being a way to tap into that ancestral knowledge for, even for modern day people. Uh, it It does for lack of a better term, almost feel like this ancient jungle professor like is, is giving you wisdom that you might not have had otherwise, or maybe you, you did have all along, but it's sort of blocked out right. by modern society sometimes. Aldous Huxley talks about this in The Doors of Perception about you know how much of our knowledge we're sort of 
filtering out all the time and how psychedelics can be a way to access parts of our mind mm-hmm. or our own internal knowledge that maybe isn't normally helping us either, you know, make money or get laid or find food or whatever our modern day uh, needs are. But like, we've got some, some knowledge in there that just is, it's almost like we're a horse with blinders and the psychedelics can help you take off those blinders and see things that you weren't able to see otherwise, but was there all along. So, I, you know, to me, that's part of what was, was an interesting sort of coming together of all of uh, a variety of ideas that, you know, I wind up talking about on this podcast and writing about. Matt, I am curious, as you wrote this essay originally, and as we're recording it a little bit after that, one thing that is new to market, so to speak, is the Apple Vision Pro. And it's just like one of these things that I'm sure you have a lot of opinions on and relates to this conversation <laughs> as as a thing that like, how much do we need this? Is it helping us or is it kind of like uh, literally putting blinders on us kind of as you were just talking about? Like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely can see some advantages to this thing, um, but I'm not sure that they outweigh the concerns that are, I think, legitimate about it. So how, do, how does that factor in as sort of like the current stand in? punching bag maybe for for technology <laughs> these days right i think it's incredible technology i'm sure it'll like right now it seems like it's just for dorks who want to spend four thousand yeah, dollars to play video yeah. games you know i'm sure eventually like generations from now it'll be slimmer and more appealing and do more stuff and i think it will have a variety of uses that are you know like something worth cheering on i do feel like as i'm as i was watching the launch video I feel like a lot of technology, it just gives me the vibe like it's being designed for people who are like paralyzed or shut-ins or incapable of like being around society because they've got some sort of disability. And if you are someone in that scenario, like then I think this is incredible technology that will make your life better. But it does seem worrisome to me of how much all these sorts of advancements keep isolating Mm us. Like, it seems like the end goal is for us to remain in our bubble, isolated, not actually being in a room with other people, not making eye contact with other people, not communicating, never being uncomfortable, never having to listen to a conversation you don't want to listen to, all the things that sort of make being human, you know, around other humans what it is. Um, And so we keep kind of, quote unquote, getting what we want. But I wonder if for us as a society, if that's part of why we are sort of you know, being torn apart and why there's, you know, so much narcissism. And, you know, then you get into the the range of like the mental health epidemic and the loneliness crisis and the sex recession and the masculinity crisis and so many things that are going wrong in our society. And I keep wondering, like, I just feel like us being addicted to screens is at the root cause of all those things. Mm -hmm. And so when they keep coming out with some better screen, I keep wondering, oh, is that actually making things better for us overall? Or is that just, you know, sort of this short term sort of spike of serotonin and, and that we and usability that we get, but at the expense of some, you know, long term connection and, and interaction with other human beings that we're losing out on and to tap into what we were talking about earlier, that ancestral knowledge yeah. of, you know, I think oftentimes is people around a campfire or, you know, in a room together having interactions as opposed to, you know, just sort of a software update that you just get to, you know, press a button and then, then you, your, your interface may have, you know, some new widgets, but you may forget how to know if there's a tsunami coming.
And now for some quickies. Pickleball is crypto for sports. We were drowning in boredom and solved that, but now the solution is drowning us in anxiety. The problem is we keep trying to get the computers to act like humans, when in reality we should be trying to get them to act like plants. Maybe the computers will get so intelligent they realize the wise play is to ignore humans and instead emulate living things that don't destroy their environment. You can subscribe to or follow this show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. And when I say that, I mean, like, leave it a good review. I feel like that's obvious, but if, you, if you're just going to leave it a bad review, you, you don't have to. Anyway, it helps others find the show, which I really appreciate. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at mattruby at hey.com. That's mattruby at hey.com. And if you like this podcast, you should subscribe to the Rubes Letter, where what you just heard first appeared. You can find that at mattrubycomedy.com slash subscribe. And while you're at mattrubycomedy.com, you can also find links to my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, where I post clips of my stand-up and other stuff too. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media. Stereoactive Media.